Reading from Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So baptism is an extraordinary thing. The word itself means ceremonial washing. And it's an outward sign of an inner change. And we really have to divorce ourselves from the understanding uh, of, of baptism here and all the confusion that there is around infant baptism. I want to make a just a distinction between baptism and infant baptism. Infant baptism has really grown up in the history of the church through the fact that there was always, in the old days, a high mortality rate. And the idea was that you didn't get to heaven unless you were baptized. And so therefore, people felt it important that children were baptized as soon as possible so they got to heaven. And because they were too young to assent to the promises that adults made, um, they created the idea that godparents could make the promises on their behalf and then ensure that these promises were kept by making sure that the child grew up in the faith and came to confirm those promises when they were old enough to do so. Hence, the service of confirmation or first communion, when the promises made at baptism are taken on by the child who's now old enough to understand. So that's the whole rationale around infant baptism. But, you know, in the early church, baptism was a really serious thing. As I said, it was the outer cleansing that represented the inner cleansing that had taken place during that process of metanoia that was mentioned in the Romans reading, the renewing of your mind. Once your mind was renewed, then you were able to demonstrate the outer aspect of that was being baptized and ceremonially washed. And there was a great preparation for baptism. In fact, in the early church, most baptisms took place at Easter. And the period of Lent... Uh, was often used as the preparation for baptism. So you you actually spent 40 days preparing for your baptism at Easter. And the 40 days obviously symbolize the 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus spent in the desert in preparation for his ministry. So there's the renewing of your mind in those 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, Jesus had three temptations. First of all, if you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. That's the first temptation. Second temptation, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command the angels concerning you and they will lift up their hands so that not, uh, you will not strike a foot against a stone. And finally, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. 
All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship you. Now, those are the three temptations of the path of what's called the path of ascent. Uh, The path of actually gaining things, the path of going forward. You know, turn, you know, I can turn stone into bread, I can do whatever I like. You know, I can test God by throwing myself off the, from the top of the mountain and no harm's going to come to me. And the third one, which is to say, look, you know, you can have all this if you worship the devil. Those were the, that's the path of ascent, the path of, of gaining something. It's the temptations for all of us who are trying to get somewhere. And the renewal of your mind was a surrender, a letting go of the temptations of the world, a commitment to the way of the Spirit. That's what it was about. It was a commitment to the way of the Spirit. And it represents the end point of the path of personal transformation. We're still on our theme of personal transformation. Baptism is a part of personal transformation. That's why it's so right that Billy's being baptized here today as part of this, this series. It represents the end point of the path of personal transformation. When that pupa that's on your service sheet it becomes a butterfly. The caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And what Bill has done today is to ask us to acknowledge the personal transformation that he has undergone. That's what we're doing here. His baptism is an outward sign of an inner transformation. And, you know, what might that look like? Well, for Bill, it's committing to that spiritual path to Christ whatever thoughts and feelings he might have. It is committing to seek first the kingdom of heaven. And that's a scary thing to do because you have to give up the ideas of what you might think will work for you in your life. You have to give up the ideas of what you think might work for you and follow a path that's laid out in front of you. And each of us has that choice in our lives. We can take the path that's easy, that allows us simply to put one foot in front of another and arrive at a destination that we've got in our minds, you know, one that we've made up and we go forward. Or we can step out in our relationship, in the path of our relationship with the divine. And we act not knowing what the result will be or where it's going to take us, but acting out of a knowledge that it's what we're being called to do, a vocation. We're being called for something. It's not something we're making up in our minds. There's an essence in the universe, a divine spark, that actually is calling us to fulfill the best of who we could be. Bill is stepping out onto that path with his wife, Melissa, and son, Tor. It's not like he planned for it to go this way. If you probably ask him a year ago whether or not he'd be baptised in the Aspen Chapel today, he'd have probably laughed at you. Baptised in the Aspen Chapel? No, it wasn't something he necessarily planned to do. But little by little, he's taken the steps, driven by love, that have brought him to this place. That love, which has no expectation of a return. The path of personal transformation is walking along the path that that love lays out for you. You commit to love and then the path is laid out. And as you walk, you find yourself thinking. As you walk along that path of love, you find yourself thinking in different ways. 
doing different things, behaving in unexpected ways, because there is a renewing that is happening in your mind. You're not concerned with the outcome of what you're doing. You're simply following the path of love. You're focused on the joy that's inside you, rather than looking for pleasure or happiness from the outside. It says in the New Testament that it was for the joy that Jesus went to the cross. There was a joy that led him on that path. Obviously, it wasn't a joy to be on the cross, but there was a joy that led him on that path. And we'll be looking more about that next week and the week after as we go into Easter. And your motivation when you're on that path of love and joy, it's a different motivation. You have bigger horizons. And that bigger horizon is to serve the path of love, whatever the consequences. And because of that, gradually you become a different person. You are no longer on the path where, as Thomas Merton said, you're you're no longer on the path where I wind experiences around myself and cover myself in pleasure and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world, as if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. There's a feeling of emptiness with that, where we feel we've got to acquire things, to achieve experiences, to achieve money, to achieve fame, in order to amount to more than a hill of beans in the world. We feel we've got to do that. That's not this path. This is the other path. You change it to the other path, which is the path where you're moved to be in a place where God utters me like a word, containing a partial thought of himself. A word can never comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall find myself. I shall be saved. So there's a difference between creating experiences and acquiring things, the emptiness of that. On the other hand, moving ourselves out of the way, following the path of love and embodying that which we were meant to be. Now in terms of the world, in following that path of love, you're not doing what is expected of you. You're not playing the game. Because your horizons are different. Like that butterfly on the service sheet, you've become something else. You're not dragging yourself along the branch like a caterpillar. You can feel the wind beneath your wings as you are held up by something else. You're suddenly upheld by the universe, by the love in the universe, as you start using the language of the universe. And the language of the universe is the language of love. Now, such a transformation is scary. It's scary to the caterpillar that you can imagine he spent his whole life on the ground on cabbage leaves and suddenly he's now up in the air. And it's scary to us because we're doing things that are not expected of us by those around us. Bill's friends will probably want to know why he's getting baptized. They all know Bill, you know, Bill, and he also... 
And now he's being baptized. You know, what is going on? There is, there's quite a conversation there. And that happens to all of us as we go along the path of personal transformation. Our actions might upset others because it's not what they expected of us. We're somehow not playing by the rules and they can feel hurt and disappointed by us. But in staying true to your path of love, it's staying true to that path that's key, whatever the consequences. Now, having said that, you have to be open to the fact that sometimes you make wrong turns here and there. You might not be a butterfly. You might be Icarus up there with your wings made from wax and get too close to the sun. And there's always the chance that your wings will melt and you'll come crashing down. And you know, you have to be prepared for that. The universe will keep coming back to you and letting you know where you're at. Because, as I've said before, God comes to you in the circumstances of your lives. But that shouldn't stop us putting our heart and soul into everything. We just have to not be attached to the outcome. So this whole area of personal transformation, summed up in the service of baptism, is a process of letting go. It's a process of surrender. Like those three temptations. In life, we're always trying to get somewhere, to be more successful, more holy, to use our actions to put us somewhere else. Meister Eckhart, the 13th century mystic, said that God is not found in the soul. God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by the process of subtraction. It's the process of subtraction. The path of descent is one of letting go of things, of abandoning ourselves to God's provision. It's known as the kinetic way, the kinetic way. Cynthia talks a great deal about this. After the process of kenosis, which is letting go, emptying out, like is described in, in Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Taking the nature of a servant. It's a process of emptying out, of letting go of things and radically embracing life. And the desert, you know, the 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, the desert of it, the desert of letting go of things, the desert of preparing yourself for baptism, represents those times where the only thing we can rely on is God, when we're in a corner. And so the desert is a symbol of not having anything to rely on but God. No, in the desert, there's no running water, no Xfinity Plus, no electricity, no heat. Well, plenty of that, but none that you could turn off at your will. Attacked on all sides not knowing where you're going. It's enough to drive you, well, drive you into the hands of God. And that's the purpose of being in a desert place. As Mother Teresa loved to say, we're not created to be successful, even spiritually successful. We're created to be obedient. True obedience to God won't always make us look or feel right. I'm doing Developing Conscious at the moment, and I always love to say that, you know, we offer this 
with the willingness to be wrong. All the material we offer here at the chapel is offered with the willingness to be wrong. And division is not seen as being threatening. We have to be willing to let go of control, to not be attached to the outcome of our lives, but to trust in what we're given. In the Dharmapada, the Buddhist scripture, it says, Do not turn away what is given you, nor reach out for what is given to others. Give thanks for what is given to you, however little. Why miss what you do not have? And I'm going to finish just with repeating that quote of Thomas Merton's, which is really you know, where we're going for in that path of transformation. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word can never comprehend the voice that uttered it. But if I am true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of God's actuality and find God everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in God. That is, I shall find my true self. I shall be saved. Let's pray. So we open our hearts to a world that is full of that path of ascent, that path of acquisition, that path of wanting to get somewhere, something, of wanting to clothe ourselves in pleasure and acquisition. And we just do pray that in their hearts people have a sense of that place that special place of that great spirit that's within them and that they can express that in their lives. We pray that of our leaders, all those that they touch, as the world is governed. We pray for all peoples in all nations that they may raise up leaders that are of that nature. We pray for all those who are struggling, particularly thinking of those who are struggling in in war zones, those who are homeless and hungry, those living under oppression, who feel not free. Pray for those in prison. marginalized. I pray that the divine spark of humanity will be recognized in all living creatures, whatever form they take. Pray for all those on the mountain at the moment, particularly praying for ski patrol, those on the lifts, those in the restaurants working. Pray for those enjoying themselves and pray for safety at this time of trouble. Particularly, we think of people in our community who are struggling at the moment. We pray particularly for Jani Anderson, who's had complications for hip replacement surgery. We pray for Mimi Schlumberger, who's battling with cancer. For Cindy van der Veer, who had surgery last week. For Alex Coleman, in a coma in Los Angeles. Particularly praying for Taylor Patterson, who's in recovery but now at home with Doug. 
Pray for Helen Gotchi, who's 101 and been admitted to hospital. Pray for the Franklin family after the loss of Shelley's beloved stepfather, Vern Verness. Pray for the family of Borkild Heron, Eva Lumley's mother, who died last Saturday. Just pray that our hearts and our healing touch and our spirit may go out to all those people. Amen.